So let's just uh, bow our heads again and um, ask the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather and hear your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would give us attentive minds to listen. And Lord, that you would give us um, also a resolve and a sense of um, the privilege of being able to uh, live out your words in our day-to-day lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Daniel said earlier, if you could open your Bibles to um, James 1, and we're going to be reading from 19 to 27 in a moment. Uh, And as you do that, um, consider with me, I think we live in a world, and especially a city, where speaking eloquently is often um, elevated and valued much more than listening attentively. Just think about all the the many ways that we have the opportunity to speak. Just all those electronic devices that we have around us, in our hands, on our wrists, in our cars, in our houses. And this morning, I want us to um, help us to pause and to listen and to hopefully understand from God's Word that our habits of speech actually impact our ability to listen, and most importantly, our ability to listen to God. And if you think about it, it's, it's pretty hard to, to listen at the same time as speaking. And perhaps some people feel that they have a, a special gift in this area, some kind of um, multitasking um, gift. But I think that at best, um, and I'm not one of those people, um, but I think at best, your ability to listen is going to be impacted if you are doing something else at the same time. For the most part, we have to stop speaking if we are going to listen attentively. And as I said, we're going to be looking at um, a portion of the book of James this morning. And this is a book that was written by James to some Christians who were under a lot of pressure. And James hears that there are problems and he diagnoses their primary problem as one of double-mindedness. They had divided affections and allegiances. On one hand, they were allied to Christ and to his purposes, but at the same time, they depended very heavily on their own devices, and they seemed to have this kind of worldly value system. And if you've read James, you'll know that he focuses a tremendous amount upon their tongues and how they speak. And it's one of these sections in the book of James that I want us to read together now. So let's read together from chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, I think this passage may be divided into uh, or summarized in, in three statements. And those are, firstly, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Secondly, humbly listen to Christ. And thirdly, be doers of the word. And that's really the outline that I have for this morning. I'd like just to take each one of those in turn and to think about them together. So, so firstly, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Well, not all speech is bad, is it? Um, words can be used for a tremendous good. And parrots aside, I think one of the distinguishing marks of being a human being is that we speak words to one another in a way that's different to all other living creatures on earth. We have verbal communication and we communicate with one another. Perhaps more, uh, some more articulately than others, but, but we all speak. And even those who have speech impediments um, are able to communicate complex ideas and emotions with other human beings. And Christians understand that in so doing, we reflect the God who made us, because God is a God who speaks. Think back to the, the early words of the Bible. We see God speaking creation into existence. God made himself then progressively known through his word in the Bible. He is a speaking God, and so speaking is a way that we actually reflect the God who made us. However, our tongues have a dark side to them. We don't need anyone to persuade us that our words can get us into a lot of trouble and cause untold hurt to those around us. And actually, um, one chapter or two chapters on in, in James, he teaches at some length on the power of the tongue. And I'd like to just kind of summarize, without us really turning to them, um, the bullet points of what he says in chapter 3. And I think it will be helpful for us. You know, he firstly says that the tongue is the hardest member of the body to control. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Secondly, he says that the tongue is very small, but it has great impact. Like a rudder on a ship or, or a bit in the mouth of a horse, uh, it's small, but its effects can be considerable. And then thirdly, he says that those effects are often very destructive. So verse 6, he says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So we're not to be naive. Our, trung, uh, our tongues are actually extremely dangerous. So almost like an extremely venomous snake that we, have, we see in the corner of the room, we're to give it our full attention and to watch our tongues constantly. And fourthly, he says, tongues are untamable by humans. You know, most creatures can be tamed, but our tongues cannot. We can't tame our tongues without the help of the Holy Spirit. Only God working in us will enable us to tame our tongues. 
And then lastly, he says, our words are often completely inconsistent. So verse 9, he says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So just from this short spin through chapter chapter 3 of James, I think we can see um, why we are to keep a tight rein on our tongues. And I think that this is, if we just consider this, this is good evidence just from our day-to-day experience of actually one of the fundamental truths of the gospel that we believe. And that is, is that our greatest problem is within us. You know, the gospel tells us that our biggest need is actually not external or circumstantial, but rather coming from our hearts. We value our own goals and our opinions and our desires above those of others, and especially above the desires of the God who made us. And this is, this is what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus connected what is inside of us to the words that come out of us when he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's almost like a hosepipe that's in our hearts, and the end of it is, is our mouths. What is inside of us is so often known through our words. Maybe not all the time, but certainly when the pressure is on us, what comes out reveals what's in our hearts. And I think we even see this in the book of James as well. In chapter 4, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? So external, verbal, fights and quarrels. And he says, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, your hearts? And I want us to drill down a little further and, and just consider the tongue's power. This is what it says in Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Perhaps the reason that we tend to speak so much is that we intuitively know just how powerful words are. When we want something, don't we deploy carefully chosen words? and lines of logic to persuade others maybe to do something or not to do something. And of course, there's so much good that um, words have accomplished. There, I, I was thinking this week about you know, some of those famous speeches that everyone knows about. Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech. You know, In that, they're words that transcend time and inspire a vision of how the world ought to be. But at the same time, we know that words can be very powerful and powerfully used to selfish and harmful ends. I think we see this when we're rash with our words. You know how hurtful those statements can be, can't they? They live on inside people's minds, sometimes for years. You know, maybe even now you're thinking of, you can recall words that have been spoken to you that you just find it really hard to forget and that are very painful. The powerful impact of the tongue is, of, is often revealed in our anger, isn't it? And I think it's no coincidence that James refers to anger in verse 19. He makes this connection between speaking and anger. Let me just read again from verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Can you see how the two things are paired together? And just to be clear, God, um, uh, James is not speaking here about a good anger, a, a right response to evil, but rather what he calls man's anger. Anger that doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And I think we see in verse 21 that the implication of this anger is that it's dirty and, and wicked, something to be put away. Well, I hope you're beginning to see why it's so important that we need to rein in our tongues. And that's the, the phrase that um, James uses if you look down to verse 26. The word picture James uses, I think, is helpful. It's one of a horse being bridled, or as, as the NIV version says, being reined in. You imagine a wild stallion rearing up on its hind legs. Our tongues can be just like that animal. They are powerful with potential to cause great destruction. We can't tame our tongues, as we heard earlier. But if we're trusted in Christ, with the help of God's Spirit, we can begin to rein them in. And can you see as well, in verse 21, a ray of hope? where he says that in putting away quick speech and anger, we're to embrace something else. You see that he's saying that we're to embrace the implanted word. Well, that's, that brings us to the second point that I'd want us to look, about, look at and think about this morning, that we are to humbly listen to Christ. Look again at verse 19. We're to be quick to hear. Now, certainly, I think listening to people is is part of what James is talking about here. But as I've meditated on this a fair bit, I'm convinced that James has something deeper in mind. I think just as we've seen in verse 21, he, he's telling us to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I think what he has in mind is us listening to God, most of all. And if you just actually look back to verse 18, um, before he gets to the section that we've been looking at, he's been talking about how God is the giver of good gifts. And he says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So our Heavenly Father is a giver of good gifts, and he's brought us forth into his new creation through the agency of his word of truth. So I think that all around this passage, um, James is is thinking about the word of God. And he wants his readers to listen to God more than to speak. He's reminding them that God is good and that he works good in us through his word and that listening to his word is of paramount importance. He's saying that whether or not we learn to be good listeners, will actually determine the whole course of our lives. And I think here we're actually entering, um, if you like, one of the kind of main water channels of the Bible in terms of one of the big themes that runs all the way through. And that is the theme that God initiates life and goodness and redemption through the agency of his words. So if you just think back to the Garden of Eden and God speaking um, his, this world into creation, into existence. He speaks creative, life-giving words 
in that context. But then similarly through the Bible, he is doing the same thing in bringing forth a new creation. As he redeems a ruined humanity, he, spe- he speaks words to bring new life. So the, to the Ephesians Christians, um, Paul reflected and he said this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So here's just an example of how hearing God's word is what is necessary for us to enter in to um, the new life that, that Christ brings to us. And then listen in John 5 to, to Jesus' teaching, where he's, he's pretty much saying the same thing. So this is John 5:24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You know, Jesus is saying that how we respond to his words are actually a matter of life and death. Do you remember how Jesus would often say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear? You know, perhaps that's why he was so eager for people to be listening and hearing. It's incredibly important that we listen to him. Last week, we um, actually read together from the opening words of the book of Hebrews. And I think that's helpful to think about because the Hebrew writer was, that the writer of the Hebrews was um, explaining how God has revealed himself to us over time. And so he said, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then in chapter 2, he applies this and he says to the Hebrews, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? See, it seems that the Hebrew Christians were drifting away from Christ and the gospel. And the problem was that they weren't paying enough attention to that final word of revelation that God had given to them through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, we're really glad that you're here and hope that you feel welcome. If I if I can, I'd just like to speak briefly to you uh, specifically. I'd like you to think about this statement that God has spoken to us. I know that many people have devoted their lives to searching for God. And as a result, we have many ideas and theories. But the Bible tells us that in order for us to know God, he actually has to make himself known to us. And the Bible tells us um, that he has made himself known in history. See, the Bible is actually a historical book where God is revealing himself progressively over time. So think back to, to those those words in Hebrews, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But this all led toward a final and supreme word of revelation. And so 
Again, the Hebrew writer says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry preaching about the coming kingdom of God. And as people heard him speak, they could see that he was different, that he spoke as one who had authority. And Jesus taught that our greatest problem is our sinful hearts, just as we were thinking about earlier, and that we actually need new hearts in order to listen to God and to obey him. And through his death and his resurrection, he brought restoration. He brought us new hearts. And so though Jesus was always righteous and his words were always pure, he willingly offered himself on the cross to pay the just penalty for our unrighteousness. So at a later time, Peter reflected upon the ministry of Jesus and said, Christ himself suffered on account of sins once for all, the righteous one on behalf of the unrighteous. He did this in order to bring you into the presence of God. And God raised him to life on the third day in order to demonstrate Christ's victory over sin and death. And early Christians preached this message and urged people to respond in repentance and faith. That is to turn towards Christ and to follow him as a disciple. So I urge you this morning to to think about this and to think about the words that you've heard that I've just read from the lips of Jesus. I'd also like to speak to, I'm sure, the majority of us here who would identify ourselves as Christians, myself included. And I want us to think for a moment about this idea of paying closer attention. So if you're drifting off down a a, a kind of mental rabbit hole of wondering what you're going to have for lunch or maybe how the World Cup's going, um, if I could just have your attention briefly. um, I'd like us to, you know, I think that we can often treat the Bible and preaching like the flight attendant safety announcement that we often hear on a plane. We know it's important, but we are somewhat familiar with it. And we think that we kind of generally know the gist of what we're going to hear. So instead, the in-flight entertainment options get our attention, and the safety measures becomes this kind of background noise. Familiarity, presumption, and distraction. Well, imagine with me that you're about to take a parachute jump for the first time. Maybe some of you have done that. You arrive, and the first thing that happens is training, and the instructor begins to explain what you need to do. I wonder how carefully you are going to pay attention at that point. Are you going to be flipping your phone, getting your phone out and beginning to, to kind of browse through your Facebook page and see what's going on, or having a side conversation with someone? I think not. I think you're going to be giving that, that instructor your full, undivided attention. And why? Because your life is going to depend upon it. So this is how we are to listen to God. So remember what, what it says in Hebrews 2. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Following Jesus requires constant attention to his word. And I'm, I'm really encouraged that I know that so many of you are doing just this. Um, you know, attending church regularly and listening carefully to, to the sermons, attending to two forums as we just heard about, 
um, the T2 intensives, going to CG regularly, um, reading your Bibles. You know, I was encouraged to, to hear about a couple of members recently who had a bit more time over the summer, and they decided they were going to do some scripture memorization. Not just a few verses, but actually whole books. Um, that was so encouraging, and that inspired me when I heard that. So continue to do this, and continue to do this more and more. And remember that listening to God in these ways is like almost the mooring that keeps you from drifting away towards danger. And I want to also spend a few moments just exhorting those of you who who know that you are drifting and you're distracted when it comes to God's word. Heed this warning. Consider how you might listen to God just like that parachute instructor's message, as if your life depended on it. And here are a few suggestions for you to think about. To kind of think back to the first point, make a deliberate effort to make quiet space in your life so that you can pay attention. And for some of you, it may be just finding ways to to stop speaking. Some of this is about actually making some things in your lives non-negotiable. So perhaps attending church on Sunday where you'll hear God's word preached. Well, not perhaps, but I say yes, definitely. Um, And... You know, if you find yourself regularly making a decision between options on Sunday morning, then I would suggest that you need to reorder your priorities. There will always be other compelling things to do, just as we have this morning an example of. And plan so that you will also be present, not only in body, but also in mind. So get a decent amount of sleep before coming to church. And when you read your Bible privately, do so when your mind is alert and you're going to be able to pay attention. So um, I know what it's like. You know, sometimes I find myself reading the same paragraph five times and then I'm wondering kind of what it meant. And, you know, I know that that's sometimes unavoidable when we get tired, but, you know, maybe thinking deliberately, when is the best time for me to read God's word? And if you typically read your Bible on your phone or device, consider whether there may be distractions on that that are keeping you from really paying full attention. Maybe just getting an old-fashioned printed Bible is a good idea. Well, think for a moment about what or whom you give your best attention to. Isn't it to the things and the people who matter the most to you? I've been reading Psalm 119 this week, um, and it's the words of a person who obviously is pursuing God and loves him and desires him a lot. And this is manifesting itself in a delight and a love for his word. I'll just read to you from verses 11 to 16. This is what he says. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Well, I read this because I really don't want you to leave this morning feeling that you just ought to do a better job reading your Bible. The kind of response of a a mere duty 
you know, my prayer is that you will, you'll want to listen to God's word more, not as a duty, but rather as a delight, because it leads you to him. And that you'll be inspired to hide his word in your hearts, because it will cause you to love him more. That there will be an anticipation of joy in following his statutes, because that joy will be a joy in him. And that any resolve not to neglect his word will actually be grounded in the conviction that to neglect it would be to deny yourself delight. What I'm saying is that we know Christ through the pages of Scripture, and it's here that we encounter him and we know him better. So hear this this morning, not as a kind of you've got to do this, but as a wonderful invitation to know Christ better. And that brings me to... um, the last thing that I want us to look at. Um, James has one more thing to say to us because listening is only the first step. He wants us to also be doers of the word. So lastly and briefly, this is, um, this is seen in, in verses 22 to 25. And it's clearly connected to the previous point. But I think it's really worth us pausing to think about because it's possible... I think it's very possible to derive some kind of misplaced assurance of kind of having all that we need to, having done all that we need to do just because we've paid attention and listened. And James is very eager to focus his hearers on being doers of the word. So let's just read from verses 22 to 25 together. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Well, I think this is a really great illustration. You may remember it. Um, you know, Imagine someone kind of rolling out of bed, quickly getting dressed, stumbling to the bathroom and looking in the mirror, and um, they observe some things that need attention. So a kind of wild tuft of hair levitating sideways behind one ear, um, some encrusted toothpaste on the end of their nose, and perhaps a sweater that's inside out. And then just at that moment, they hear the arrival of a text message. And of course, it's so important, they have to rush to find out what it says And in the midst of that, they just completely forget about what they've seen in the mirror and proceed along their, proceed into their day. And James warns us that we can be that way spiritually. You know, God's word is here likened to a mirror and it reflects what's going on in our hearts. As we read God's word, we see what God is like and we see what he wants us to be. And we also see our sin. And notice how he warns in verse 22 that it's possible to be self-deceived. And it's this deception of, of, of thinking that, that knowing and approving of truth is actually enough. What James is wanting us to see is that this is actually a dangerous deception. If nothing changes as the result of, of reading God's word. And so that brings us then in verse 25 to James's exhortation to us. This is what he wants us to be. 
He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So see the things that he's saying here, that we should intensely look into God's word. It shouldn't be a casual activity. And we should be continuing to do it. We should persevere, as the ESV says. It shouldn't be sporadic and occasional. We should do our best not to forget it, but we should be retaining it. And then it needs to lead to some kind of action. And lastly, again, kind of going back to what I was saying before, see that there is here a promise of blessing. Because what it is that we're, we're giving our attention to what he calls the perfect law that gives freedom. And see, if you flip down now to verse 27, see that James is very practical. That he's, he fleshes out the profile of a life that's given to this kind of listening and obedience. He says in verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's getting back to that that kind of basic question, what does your daily life look like? And he's wanting us to see that true discipleship results in action. And I think actually here, just in this, this one verse, you see two kinds of obedience that he's alluding to. Firstly, there's, there's the obedience of action. As we read God's word, we encounter many commands to love and to serve others. And you can see that he's focusing on looking after the most needy and the most vulnerable orphans and widows in their distress. And so I'd encourage you as you read God's word to think about what is it that God's calling me to do. And, and you know, maybe as you read, you feel you're, rem- you're reminded of things and you think of people and, and think, think of things that, that you could do in order to obey what you're reading. You know, make a note of those things. If you're anything like me, it's so easy just, just, just to kind of think of them and then forget you know, I, I have a notebook that I tend to have with me when I, when I read my Bible and I, I have to write stuff down or else I'm just going to forget it. But I find it very helpful because then I can go back and I can kind of see, you know, did I do this or not? Oh, I need to do that. And I think especially just because James mentions this specific act of obedience of, of caring for the orphans and widows, I would be remiss not to ask you how you are doing in this very specific area this morning. Um, You know, are there people who the Lord wants you to be caring for? Perhaps it's a family member who has specific needs or a church member. Maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's those who we know about more generally in our community, in our city. Um, I love the way that our church is connected with DC 127, um, which is a ministry that especially helps children who are at risk of being taken into foster care. Um, if, if you're interested in getting involved and helping with that, please talk to Whitney King, who's sitting right there. Um, that's a great way that we can be obeying this command. So that's, that's the first form of obedience, the obedience of doing. But I think there's also the obedience of not doing. You see that? where he talks about keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. There's the obedience of just 
going against the flow. Sometimes not doing what the majority is doing is the harder thing, and it's costly for us. And I wonder this morning, is God's word informing the way that you navigate the hard decisions where the world's ways go against the grain of what we know God's will is for us? That's one of the the reasons why we have to constantly be reading the scriptures so we know what it is that God thinks um, in the midst of a world that's constantly giving us its messages. So I think we see here that God is calling us to be doers of the word. And we can see that in these two different ways. Well, just to conclude, this morning we've been thinking about speaking, listening, and doing. And we've seen, firstly, that we're to slow down in our speaking, recognizing that our words, whilst holding potential for great good, are so often yielding the opposite result. Let us rein in our tongues and keep that rein tight. Secondly, we're to be quick to listen, and most of all, to Christ and his words of life. And listen as if your life depended upon it. Pay careful attention so that you don't drift away. And know that the scripture is like the lens through which you see our Savior. Delight in God's word in order to delight in Christ, just like the psalmist did. And lastly, we've seen that we're to be doers of the word. May our learning about Christ result in acts of obedience for his sake. Above all, know that the word comes from a good heavenly father. He wants to lavish us with an abundance of good gifts. And most importantly, he wants to bless us with a deeper knowledge and experience of Christ. Let's pray together. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes, as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. O Lord, as we've just heard from James this morning, we just pray, Lord, that you would be um, helping us helping us where we struggle, help us where we're drifting. Help us, Lord, to clear the busyness and the noisiness in our lives in order to pay close attention to you. And Lord, as we hear your words and as you prompt us to obedience, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be doers of the word. Help us, Lord, to know uh, what it is that you are calling us to as we live our lives each day. And we, Lord, ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond to what we've just heard as we sing how firm a foundation. Um, you saints of the Lord, as it says, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. <laughs>